You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Well, keep in mind, I thought L.A. was going to be like chips or like, you know... Girls in hot tubs and palm trees and all this, you know, wonderful, you know, they, what they sell us on TV. That's like what I thought about Miami before I moved there. And right. then it's like you realize that South Beach is this big yeah. and the rest Smog, of Miami is like this it's big. murder and darkness. <laughs> and yeah, like you can't breathe and your nose hurts. And like, this place sucks. You know, and then once I got to L.A., though, I'm like, I can't go home. I mean, there's, there's nothing to go home to. I'm going to be a farmer. That's just not even an option. So I was literally walking down Hollywood Boulevard, just bummed out, like just going, oh, my God, really? This is it? And I was just like, you know what? I got to jump in the deep end and learn to swim with the sharks, man. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to 2020. I'm Benny Goodman here with Siobhan Cronin and Corey Peza. Hey, yo. Woo, hey. And this week we're back with Grammy Award winner David Ellison from Megadeth and many a score of thanks. Yeah, he's going to make you feel lazy. Yeah, like <laughs> how can you do that many things in one lifetime? It's unbelievable. How far can you walk with that one baseline? <laughs> so make sure you go to 2020.com 2020-d.com subscribe soundtalentmedia.com subscribe go to youtube.com slash 2020 I don't know something like that subscribe there too and uh, check go out go to Amazon Prime and subscribe yes <laughs> we're trying to keep our intros brief so we're all talking way fast yeah plus <laughs> all the cocaine uh, but anyways check out David Ellison part 2 on 2020 Gentlemen, I'm Siobhan Cronin. Welcome back to another episode of 2020. I'm so excited to be here with our amazing guest this week, who I will introduce after I introduce my cohorts, as we've deemed ourselves. Uh, first today, Benny Goodman. Ahoy. Ahoy. <laughs> <laughs> and up That's next, like Ennio Marconi. Uh, no, <laughs> is it Marco? Who's the uh, the guy that 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 did the first the first uh, phone call? I thought you knew everything about art I'm history trying, and literature. No, no, it'll come to me. Okay. Next oh. up, Corey Peza. Hi. Who's actually realistic with his <laughs> yeah, statements. I don't, so, I don't, thanks, I'll have to think of some more multisyllabic words for Ben. <laughs> Polysyllabic. <laughs> and before we get carried away up again for part two, the amazing David Ellison, he like had so many amazing stories in the first part. We hardly yeah. got through half the questions I'm sure we all had. <laughs> so I'm so excited that you stuck around to join us for another part and can't wait Thank to dig so into... Much. More You're stories welcome. and knowledge and experiences. I love how many boxes you check off because of the type of shows we do. But you, you, you know, obviously, obviously, like legendary bassist of Megadeth, and then author, uh, <clears throat> own a coffee company, a film company, apparently, and uh, you are an honorary member of Lost Symphony, whether you like it or not. So. I am. I am, <laughs> I, I, and, 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 and proudly so. You know that's. Uh, you lads write some complex music and some very cool music. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I was just so, lamenting my part in that. <laughs> yes. yes. All right. Yeah. So, how, so let me let me ask you, Siobhan. So how was it working with Lost Symphony? Oh, my gosh. That's a loaded question. It's an ongoing process. That's why it's, I asked it. <laughs> well, basically, my first experience was showing up at Benny's house for the first time, having never met him. I was introduced to him by Ollie Herbert from All That Remains, right. who I met while we were on tour. We had, like, adjacent dressing rooms at a festival. And he cornered me, was like, are you playing Vivaldi? He's like, I know a project for you. And I was like, oh, no. This is the first person at a rock festival to one, recognize Vivaldi, and two, to have a project that's relevant to classical music. So I was like, is this a joke? So yeah, lo yeah. and behold, I don't know if it was a few months later, I ended up at Benny's house and he just like threw me in his studio. It was like, okay, write layers of violin. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So anyway, years later, we've 
kind of refine. You're the still process, writing layers of violin. Right? Still writing layers. Well, and of, like, and you're like, layers. I know Benny Goodman. Isn't he a jazz guy? Yeah, that's <laughs> that all jazz my jazz guy? friends ask. Like, yeah. 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 Joe Perry actually How called Paul Gary. Joe Perry called his manager and he was like, hey, wait a minute. Did you tell me the King of Swing came to see like the Hollywood vampires? And that was like the coolest <laughs> thing that ever happened to me was that Joe Perry like mistook who I was. And I got to use the joke on him three times. He never remembers me. Oh, my gosh. But but to answer your question, since we were ranting about it just before. So I would say one of the most challenging parts with Lost Symphony was working on a song with Marty um, oh my because. God. Oh my God. Let's hear the story. I got to hear the story because I. So we we were working on this this tune called Requiem, which you guys might have to correct my chronology, but a lot of it was written, and then I think Marty was asked to play on it kind of okay. later. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was put together um, with with Ollie. We had this whole long um, thing. Sorry, my bad. Supposed to be uh, you just twenty twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty. Please yeah. subscribe. <laughs> Please subscribe. Back in twenty twenty, we had uh, we had cell phones. That, you know, yeah, right. It's my reminder <laughs> to post the podcast. Actually, uh, oh my, <laughs> oh my god, the irony. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we had this the song that kind of like got built out and it was long and it was really epic, but then it, it just kind of you know I think we got some parts from some other guest players that just made it like what are we going to do with this? And it sat in the back burner for a long time. And then I believe when, uh, when Ben connected with, with Marty, uh, that was one of the songs that, that got kind of sent over to say, Hey, you want to try something? And he said, yes, I would like to try something and then completely change the song. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So he, he wrote basically a, an independent intro piece to it. That was, I mean, it flowed really well into the actual song, but it was completely different. So Ben's mm -hmm. grand idea was, oh, Siobhan, well, orchestrate this. Yeah. Well, and he also <laughs> insisted on not using any click track. Yeah. He wanted to play completely oh. to feel. Oh my so, yeah. like, you now, now, so now you're also not only interpreting what he's sending you, but you're trying to play to his perfect feel, <laughs> which is not in time to the normal <laughs> quantized mortal being that is not no, Marty I mean, Friedman. It was, it was really beautiful, and of course, you know, I, I'm from a different world from him. I wasn't super familiar with his music, so I didn't right. really know his style. I was like, I'm going to compose what you know, and I'm a classical. Well, do you remember girl, what I said so to you? Well, you said, oh, yeah, just make it all amazing, like Mahler and Chopin and all this stuff. And I'm like, OK, that's well, not what Marty wanted. That's not Marty. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, you so, know uh, Marty. So Kataro, right, produced the scenes record. I remember Megadeth. We were making the Countdown to Extinction record. And, and when Marty joined Megadeth, he was already under contract with Mike Barney and Shrapnel Records. So it was one of these rare moments where you sort of make the accommodation for the new guy joining your band because he's already a solo artist, right, with a record deal. <laughs> yeah. um, and but Marty said, he goes, look, I'm glad to be in a band. He goes, look, myself, I'm glad to just be in a band, play guitar. And and he enjoyed his solo records because they were had nothing to do with Megadeth. They were very different. And the scenes record, it, I think it's, it's it's a wonderful record. And I love Kataro's music. And so you kind of go, you know, you go very Eastern with Marty. You know, it's yeah. not a European classical derivative. We learned and, that. And here's the thing. I, yes, I, I, I learned that about Marty. Marty a lot, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I, I love Marty. I mean, he and I, again, like Al Petrelli, um, who came after him, you know, Marty and I were small town kids. We grew up. We had a theory. You're either into Sabbath and Kiss or you're into Aerosmith and Zeppelin. Like, mm -hmm. that was sort of the dividing line, right? And in so our wait, band, wait, which you one know, are you? Dave like, and Nick. So, so your kids. Well, Dave and Nick Menza were Zeppelin. They were, yeah, they were Zeppelin, Aerosmith, and me and Marty were Sabbath Kiss, right? Dark, black, you know, like there was this sort of dividing line. And me and Marty mm -hmm. were big fans of all the Casablanca bands, like Stars and Just the like Gods the coffee. Angel and Kiss and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, Marty and you know, Pat Travers and Mahogany Rush, Frank Marino, all these kind of things. But, you know, it's funny with Marty. What I realized with Marty, one of his innate gifts that I, I have, a lot of people can do it. And like, you know, Benny, you're a guitar player, but um, <laughs> Marty can land on any note and bend it up into something interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, if, yeah. And, 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 you know, tuning is not his issue. But if he lands, again, like jazz, rather than just making a mistake and calling it jazz, right? <clears throat> Like, like, bro, you're way outside the changes. Hey, it's jazz, dude. You know, it's uh, like he can land on something. And he has this way of just landing on a note and bending it into something like instantly. He can yeah. just find he, it. He has an it ability right like Van Halen because Van Halen, you obviously know this. He used to like break things up in weird, uh, you know, mm. seven, five, three. But he'd always, quote unquote, land on his feet. And Marty, you, right. you're right. Like he could hit a really what you would normally to the normal mortal ear think is strange, but then bend it right. up, and it's always perfect. 
and well, even so like he's tiny at this point yeah yeah it's like immediately immediately he's one of those guys that like from the first note there is a there's a track that actually uh David, you played on on our upcoming Chapter Three record uh, that Marty is also on, and there is he sent me the stems and the tracks labeled like single note, like something number one or something like that, and it's like yeah. eight bars of one note, and it's the best eight bars. <laughs> it's, he's just bending one note, yeah. and it's amazing. It's so good. In fact, I remember when playing on that because you're right. Was that the, there was like no click? There was something. You know that that Marty had this whole extended piece out front, so I guess obviously Siobhan. Maybe, oh, what he did is he decided to or... take something that we had written in some crazy time signature and say, you know yeah. what, fuck your entire music section. <laughs> I'm just gonna write something completely yeah. different. Like, and now I for something different. Here's Marty yeah. Friedman, and then yeah. he sent us like 16 iterations of it. It was like, you figure it out. So, <laughs> so me and Corey, yeah. uh, Corey and I, excuse me, um, went back and like basically deciphered it like the Rosetta Stone. Like, was, okay, this here's was the on best. Requiem? No, this is on um, what's so, chapter three. It's going to oh, be the okay, five okay, stages. Okay. Yeah, to give but some context, all these different. Give, yeah, just the context. Requiem is a song on chapter, chapter one, one, featuring Marty Friedman and uh, Siobhan orchestrating it. So everyone should go buy chapter one and or listen mm. to it and uh, check that out. Requiem, it's the last song. Uh, and then we're now talking about. Chapter three, which has- when does that come out? By the way, because I remember we talked about that. This because I was excited to play on something. We haven't told anyone yet. (laughs) Okay, okay. Because I was excited to play on something with Marty. um, It's going to be Ollie's birthday. So okay. this is going to be a tribute. So, you know, I guess I don't the cat's know out the date. or whatever yeah. is the closest yeah. thing. That's like the proper date that week. This, but, this episode will air before we announce it, but we'll let you know off, off, got uh, it. offline. Okay. Yeah. So like June ish. Okay, perfect. Okay, cool. Go, go, go. Ben is like uh, approaching the forbidden territory. That's He's like okay. Touching well, it. Also, yeah, the yeah, wrong yeah. forbidden territory. <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> well, I was excited about that one. Um, you know, for that very reason, you know, Marty have. It's funny, Marty and I jammed together. I had an all star group called Metal Allegiance. Um, and we made a couple records for Nuclear Blast. We kind of were doing the sort of the NAM big big events because it's a big all star thing. All the kind of who's who of you know heavy metal, um, and so it worked well at NAM. We tried to tour it a couple times. It was it was complex. so. Hold on, when you guys got back in a room, like you know, when the cats are re- being reintegrated, right? Right. What's and you guys are playing for people. What was the like? What's the first thing that David and Marty get to play? Well, here's the interesting thing about the story. So Marty. Uh, Jackson Guitars sponsored it. It was at the Grove in Anaheim uh, during NAM, and uh, Marty was the you know the the, the Metal Legion shows tend to be like three hours long, so it's like kind of an all night thing of music. So Marty uh, and his bands were uh, they opened the show, um, and then Marty came out at the end and we jammed a song together. The irony that it would be a Metallica song that he and I would jam together. <laughs> <on> <laughs> the Four Horsemen. After- no, it wasn't <laughs> Seek and Destroy or something. And it was just, you know, Hold on, we found come it. on. Can we tell people how funny that is? Because it you is have a funny. song called it The Mechanics, funny. which is basically that song. And I'll say it. I'll say it's better. It's basically if you take the Four Horsemen and just speed it up and make it more metal and like <laughs> mix it with more angst. And yeah. that's kind of like what it is. Uh, but people know it because Metallica, you know, but, but right. Dave Mustaine, for those that are unaware, most of the good songs, as far as us elitist Metallica fans, are co-written by Dave Mustaine, including The Four Horsemen, which was his freaking riff. No question about yeah. it. If you listen to it, it's above the, the Hetfield Hammett pay grade. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, look. No, no, no. <laughs> Hetfield <laughs> Hammett Lars. So I know this much about Not it. Burn. So so Dave had written that song actually I think in a band he had before Metallica called Panic and then he joined Metallica. Uh James Lars already had the band. James Lars essentially formed it. James answered the ad first so the two of them were the founders. Dave joined uh a short while later. Um and he brought in a song called Mechanics and uh, that's the version we play in Megadeth. Um, and yeah, after Dave was let go from the group, they added a section. Actually, it, it, from what Dave said, it's a section he wrote. He was telling me how Lars wanted, he he said, man, we need a part kind of like Leonard Skinnerd. 
So Dave wrote that dun dun kind of like mocking. <laughs> but then did a I lot never, of cocaine. Alabama, Alabama, that, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> a lot <laughs> so of cocaine. That, yeah, and that's that, amazing. I don't even know if it was that. They were, they were, because that's were, a lot. That's a big BPM jump, dude. Yeah, that's a suspension it was, it of was. disbelief, as they call in the movies. Yep. And so that, so I, I, I knew the song, the mechanics from. Um, the demo that I had heard when I met Dave called No Life to Leather, which was the five song demo that Metallica had that essentially got them signed, got them, you know, a lot of their notoriety before they recorded uh, Kill 'em All, their debut album. And so the bass line that I play is, is the bass player in Metallica on that uh, recording was, was Ron McGovney, mm-hmm. um, the original bass player. So it's funny, as, as popular as Cliff Burton obviously was with Metallica, play the Ron McGovney line, right? So I'm the, there it is. Yep. Well, this yeah. is funny because Ron McGovney, McGovney was actually the guy, the bass player in Metallica, and he made the Flyers. Surprising, right, David? <laughs> that yes, the bass did. player made the Flyers. So, the so this is actually yeah, a yeah. signed <laughs> jump in the fire, Ron McGovney. So this is before Cliff Burton, children. Which, by the way, it's his birthday yeah. today and the 43rd anniversary of Van Halen. Yes. And uh, Rachel Boland's birthday. So like, hey, let's throw it out. But this yeah. is when not, Dave Mustaine... And and Ron McGovney and Hetfield were all in the same band, and it was the bass player. And the way that this came about was the fact that one of his friends found it in his like a shoebox at his parents' house, and apparently sent them back because he was supposed to put them around his school because Ron had sent them to him in 1982. <laughs> so he didn't fire the gig like no, he, he didn't to. do it. Dude, his friend didn't do it. He got hot. He just said, "I'll put them in the shoebox and leave them at my mom's house." Total stoner move. Yeah. yeah. Dude, well, you didn't fly out of the bro. gig. That's like a fast times at Ridgemont High. That's like right? a, that's a, that's a stoner I, investment of a lifetime. At least you get pizza I know out a guy of who could make some flyers, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Cue the cars. Moving in stereo. <laughs> Sorry to plug my laptop in here. Yeah. Go yeah. So um gosh, we digress. That went way off on a tangent. I forgot where we were. But yeah, that's As the it it's interesting. The Dorian mode. The Dorian mode. <laughs> no, that, we were talking that, about Marty, I guess, and then it yes, yeah, that's so, so Marty. We, we went down a Metallica rabbit hole, came out the other end, and we ended up with Marty. Good, good segue, Siobhan. Thank you for saving us. You're I don't know where to take it from there. That was a good one. That was. Yeah, look, what do we say? Marty can bend into any note yes. and land, and yes. it's right. So there. Here we are. You've proved, Even you've bending proved our podcast. Right. Exactly. But did you tell her? Okay, so when we worked with Marty, the hazing came in because what Marty did was he basically wrote back and forth <laughs> notes. But like these notes were like the same way that I think that like Leibniz would write to, you know, uh, the Pope in the 17th century about infinitesimal calculus. And it might be a good idea. You were trying so hard. You were trying no, but, but so I'm saying, hard. But he to sound wrote impressive. these like very like, dear Siobhan. I think that in the third measure, that this, even though it may work harmonically, this was not what I was going for. And basically, in a very nice way, he said all of his reference tracks were yeah. pretty much what he wanted her to play. So, because yeah. he played guitar parts right, that so went the, along the with it. The facade of creativity was taken away. I, yeah, I was he, not meant to write something yes. that I thought well, it's, should it's, go it's with funny, it. you know, in Megadeth and back when Marty was in the band, we always had a, we always had a, kind of a, a. a a, it was a dig, but it was it was meant as uh, as a we we'd say someone hey so so check this riff out so we go uh huh dude great riff save it for your solo album right <laughs> that was always the dig so Siobhan you got a you got a truly a great passage save it for your solo album from Marty Friedman we saved it for the no we saved it for the end of the song we saved it for the end of the song we did so my original orchestration under what he wrote ended up at the yeah. end of the song because I mean yeah it was completely different from yeah. what he was and it was very know, very good so it yeah. you know Thank it was you. Well, and, and you were talking about that as you know coming from your world of classical you didn't grow up sort of with blues and and jazz and rock and roll and these sort of mm-hmm. more freeform jazz you know like exploratory Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, means of music, you know, classical is very different. You know, you're composing sort of like, hey, compose on the spot. You know, you're often probably reading music. You're learning formal sort well, of let's arrangements. Set the scene, because right? Siobhan yeah. was in Miami. I was hanging out in Miami and I said, hey, Siobhan, we got to suck up to Marty Friedman. We got to show him how good we are. We got to let him know that you know music theory, that you understand it. Because I had no idea how Marty was. <laughs> I don't even was. think Marty does, though. No, that's he, he doesn't. No, that's, it, it no, that's what I'm saying. But I'm giving her bad information. Yeah. So I'm, getting, I'm yeah. saying, like, come up with these really crazy, yeah. like, bass movement and all that. Like, let's be over the top. Like, let's think you, Frank should, Zappa. You should have just talked Ace Fraley to him. Because yeah. that's Marty's language, right? Right. You know? So I set her up for a total disaster. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, so that that is the punchline of Lost Symphony for yeah. me. Is <laughs> <laughs> Ben telling me what something is going to be, and then it turns out to be something yeah. completely yeah. different? What did we talk about earlier when when you asked the question, Corey? Like, forget all the theory bullshit. Just yeah. dumb it down. <laughs> yeah. Shout at the devil. Cold gin. Breaking the law, like let's go for the, you know, what I mean, let's just. Oh no, let's you're totally. I mean, I sat and poured over that arrangement that was, and first, yeah, it wasn't on a grid because he was like, oh no, please follow my timing, which I respected. It. It's hard to like yeah. quantize stuff and have it sound real, but I'm trying yeah. to program notes to send references, and it's like completely off a grid, and I'm sitting, you know, getting all anal about the voice leading <clears> between <throat> the viola and the violin, and like, <laughs> what type of chord is this? And then He's like, I'm so sorry, but I think you have to start over. <laughs> yeah, he's firing off these eloquent emails. So polite, though. Yeah. So polite. Yeah, no, he'd be no, like, he Mark, here's the reason soul. why you're wrong. He's a gentle oh, he, soul. He was yes. very polite. No, I yeah. just was misinformed. No, but, about but, but his the intentions. best part was one time Siobhan called me a borderline panic attack. Like, so Marty said that this note was like wrong, and it's just, it's not wrong. Like, I have a master's <laughs> degree in this. I know this, and I know he's great, and I know that you love him, but he's like, it's not wrong. And but I'm like, I'm like, so tell him. He that. just doesn't like it. No, I'm like, so tell him that. So she actually wrote to him like politely, and I was so yeah. proud of her. And like, A1 personality all the way to the bank and said, like, hey, just so you know, it's not wrong, and here's why. And he was just like, you're right. I just don't dig it. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Just I remember that exact thing. I was like, no, this note is a suspension over this chord. He's yeah. like, and then he started using like music theory terms with me. It, like it turned into a whole thing. And you're like, yeah. these anyway, are not the joys you're looking for, Marty. Yeah. You have no, no listen, idea. It was, it was great because you know what? Like I've, that was my first experience having to write for a solo. Like I, I'm used to orchestral music where the orchestra is the solo, right? You know, but it's it's a lot harder to write when you're trying to feature an instrument. It's it's a totally different skill. So his arrangement helped his solo come to life. And by the way, his wife plays on it too. These blues yeah. guys, they would just pick up the guitar. I read a great article, I guess was, was it maybe Christian McBride or something. Um, and that was the gig is, is, you know, to playing in these blues bars, these old honky tonks in the South, whoever had the most licks and could last the night and not repeat themselves was the winner, you know? So that's why, again, we, we, and even just to the untrained ear, like think Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, that guy can just shred solos on songs that are on the radio and never repeat himself, never fall into this repetitive pattern. And, you know, as, as much as, you know, the blues was kind of regarded as this sort of you know, disrespectful devil's music and all this stuff. There was a thing about just being able to just keep playing and keep moving forward and never go back. Oh my God, I ran out of licks. Let me go back to that first lick I played. And and there there's, you know, as bass players, we don't solo a lot. Um, and I remember in jazz band of all things, I had Thank to you. take a, they gave me a solo that I remember the auditorium. I stepped out front with my BC Rich Mockingbird into the Fender amp as the jazz guy, right? Yeah. With my BC Rich. And I'm just, shredding and tapping and i have friends from high school that go my god that friend, that bass solo was amazing like they remembered i was like 16 you know yeah. this was like 1981 or 82 you know and but it was because i listened to jocko and eddie van halen i played bass like a like a guitar player you know or like a you know the modern well, my, my favorite thing you know? is i sent you a picture of my eight string kramer bass that has right. uh, a metal neck and you're like the, your your response to it was like that's great. I remember playing in Minnesota and my hands literally freezing to the neck of yes. my bass, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my god! Like you know, there's so many people think that you just make it. You know, like yeah, you literally froze your hands to froze a Kramer bass. It's like putting your tongue on metal. a steel yeah. pole. That's yeah. metal, right? That's what a Kramer bass is in Minnesota. Like <laughs> ah shit, I can't get the bass off my hand. You know. <laughs> So stay in this yeah, key. It was, it was it was a cool time, you know. I used to call this guy Ed Roman, and he's since passed. Uh, he had Ed Roman's guitars in Vegas, but he had a company called East Coast Sound out in Danbury, Connecticut. And somehow I got like a guitar player was the bible of everything, right? That's how I learned about everything. There was no bass player magazine yet; that would come later. Um, so I remember East Coast Sound. It was like a little ad they had in the back in the sort of the classifieds of of guitar player magazine. So I would call this guy and. He, God bless him, he would sit on the phone with me for hours talking about JBL versus Gauss speakers, you know, uh, AB Systems power amps versus Crown versus, you know, uh, and, and and he would just, and I we would nerd out over stuff. And so finally, I was like, okay, I got to spend some money with this guy. So I talked to my dad we, into helping me buy. We bought a PA system. And, you know, I bought it. That's where I bought my BC Rich Mockingbird uh, from him. And I remember Dean guitars had just come out. Um, 
Travis Bean, I think, may have been kind of just ahead of Kramer, but Kramer's were quite popular. And and, and these guys, companies had big advertising. So I remember like the guys from Kansas were playing Dean and Kramer and, you know, BC Rich. I remember that ad you talked about the cars, Elliot Easton was in some ad playing a a, a, a Mockingbird. And, and, they, and that was such a cool time of guitars because, you know, I would say, you know, music was kind of rock and roll sort of invented in the 50s, if you will. And by the 60s was this very exploratory period and by the 70s, they were refining it. You know, the recordings were better. Um, obviously, Frampton had the talk box, um, Joe Perry and things. Um, you know, but the flanger, the phaser, you know, there was all this great stuff. But tones were better. Recordings were good. And then by the 80s, it was full-blown, like, just take this to the moon. You know what I mean? And so it was, a great, it was great to grow up in the 70s um, hearing these records of these, these great rock groups. Um, and one of the things I liked about it so much was the vocal sticks, even harmonies, you know, men harmonizing. Because as a kid, I grew up, my mom had the Mary Wells and Motown records, you know, Sonny and Cher and, you know, Donnie and Marie Osmond were like the TV shows, you know, Hee Haw, I'd always watch Hee Haw, just because anything that I could get a guitar in my life. Roy and Clark, if it was man. Men watching Hee Haw for an hour, fucking, I'm going to Hee Haw. Yeah, Roy, Roy Clark. Clark. Oh, Amazing. my God. Ultimate Shredders, you yeah. know? Yeah, smiling. Dude, I, I, I encourage people to go back and watch Roy Clark or someone like oh. Les Paul. Like he's not just on the on the guitar. Those guys will shred your faces off. Yeah, with a clean I played, but what, I, what, I worked for PV. I did artist relations for them. I ran artist relations for about seven years. And Roy Clark played at a casino down the street from me here. And I was like, oh my god, I got to go see Roy. So it was my that was one of my my call home to mom moments. Like I, I just met Roy Clark and we got to talk and bullshit about both being on Capitol records and, you know, talk, you kind of talk music business yeah. shop a little bit with it. And you're like, this is my, like my, I used to watch you every Saturday night without fail as a kid on hee haw, you know? And now, you know, here he is, he's playing. And he was, it was funny. He was talking about like, you know, cause he was an older guy for sure. And his audience was what they call blue hairs, kind of the, you know, yeah. the, the snowbird yeah. retired people here in Arizona. And he was like having fun with them and kind of cracking like old guy jokes <laughs> and then just shredding your face off, you know, just like, just killing it. And, yeah. uh, and great songs. And you're just like, you know, th that, that's, that was an experience to have too. I think in my career is to really understand songs. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm in a band where, where fortunately, as, as Dave is, as, you know, the main writer in, in Megadeth, he's got a charisma. You know, like I talked about in the ep uh, previous episode about um, when he stepped up to the mic to sing, it didn't matter how well he sang. It was his delivery and his charisma that made him a singer. Mm -hmm. And I realized that is, is a really, especially in rock and roll, that's what a, a great singer is about, you know, is, is it sometimes it, the technique takes a backseat to just the delivery and the charisma. And, you know, we had a manager in the late 90s um, because Megadeth, we'd obviously we started in the 80s, this big explosive growth kind of for about 10 years there. And now by the late 90s, it was a very weird time because Seattle was music was everywhere. Pearl Jam, Nirvana, all this stuff. And it was like, how does a heavy metal band survive this? Because MTV turned us all off. We're bang, you're done, you're out. Uh, Godsmack, yeah. um, Disturbed, uh, we're, we're the new thing, the new metal, corn, uh, you know. Um, and so where does Megadeth fit? So we, we really, I remember our manager, we had a, a manager, Bud Pregard, who had managed Foreigner. And he had some great stories about that, about just what a talent Mick Jones was. Just a great writer. Um, and I, I think all of us are foreigner fans. You know, there's some bands we can all agree on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the Foo Fighters today is one. But growing up, you know, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, Van Halen, uh, Foreigner. You know, there's we just all agree on some song from their catalog, right? So as he was talking about Foreigner, um, and we and we were talking about writing songs that would skew maybe a little bit toward kind of the American FM rock a format now called active rock. Which was very big back in the '90s, or you know, late '90s had a had big format, and you know, again, you're, you're looking at your band because your band is a business, and how do we move forward? How do we, you know, keep the goal? And we were we're obviously always going to be Megadeth and always going to be a metal band, but you know, with Marty and I remember Bud saying, like Marty, we really need you to step up. You've got great melodic interpretation, composer. Your ability is needed here. And we went to Nashville, we, we wrote the record, and we went to Nashville, and we worked with uh, Dan Huff, who um, was, you know, right kind of right behind Steve Lukather. He was his generation. The, he had a band called Giants, kind of similar to Toto, 
Um, but the, all the guys in Giant and that that generation, they did all the records, the you know Madonna and all. Not these, to be these confused by Gentle Giant, and they had all not Gentle Giant, definitely not Gentle. And they had all moved to Nashville and got right in on the big on the new country wave. You know the whole Garth mm-hmm. Brooks, Alan mm-hmm. Jackson, Shania twain so they were really i mean they all got to nashville at just the downbeat of that whole movement and so dan wanted to start producing he produced a group called lone star who were quite popular and then the second michael britt we love michael britt he does all the the profiles for kemper And he's an uh-huh. unbelievable guitar player, but I, yeah. I literally, I used to work in a movie theater and, and they put the first Lone Star record on like repeat and, and I just, it's ingrained in my, my <laughs> cerebellum. <laughs> Another big word, cerebellum. <laughs> That's not where it's actually ingrained you know if you know anything about The Ramones about use that word and it's, you know. And, uh, and I want to be it's sedated and roll, use cerebellum. Yeah, so you still rock and roll you, to me. You still get rock and roll cred for cerebellum. <laughs> but um, but it was interesting, you know, being in Nashville, and it was a time where you know, like we talked in the previous episode, I grew up, you know, musically educated and always continued to, you know, pursue, you know, even if it was self-taught or jamming with buddies, higher education in music. Um, and so I actually studied with a guy, a guy named Ray Riendow, who is probably, in my opinion, one of just the greatest bass players. I mean, amazingly great chops, slapping, and just, you know, and we sat down. I said, listen, I'm going to Nashville. All the greatest bass players in the world are there. You know, Glenn Wharf, Michael Rhodes, Mike Brigner, Dell. I mean, they're all there. And, and, I, and I said, look, I played in Megadeth all these years. Um, obviously I can do that quite well, but I, I just, I need, I feel like I need a, a, a new bag of tricks, you know? And so we sat down, autumn leaves, page one out of the real book and just started studying jazz. And, and that was when it really hit me. It was like, you know, as much as I had played jazz and studied some jazz in high school, um, for a few years in jazz band, I, I, I appreciated you know, and autumn leaves is this. If you, once you get past was, autumn, was it the leaves, red death? That like, is literally. Like, I'm Hal taking Leonard jazz lessons. No, I'm taking jazz lessons right now, and my teacher just sent me that tune. I've learned autumn like leaves. three so far. Autumn leaves is my oh. assignment for this week. So that's so it, cool you brought that up. It's deep. It's deep because you know, like you said, okay, first we're gonna you're gonna learn to read, and unfortunately, I can read manuscripts, so I could I had to kind of brush up on my reading. But again, mm-hmm. everything about it, key signature, all the stuff, and looking at where the key changes within the chord within a bar from the yeah. separate chords and and i mean these are deep dives you know on autumn leaves and and um and i studied with him for about three months and i got you know we we went through a lot of stuff and i remember coming home practicing you know and, and then and then again it comes this point where okay now we're going to nashville to make a megadeth record i'm just tuning all of that out i'm just i'm not gonna go in and go well i learned autumn leaves and let's <laughs> let's now play some megadeth songs it you infiltrates know? your brain yeah. though i don't think you can unlearn it does. that it does it really you know and i i realized going to college that that's what that's all college is college isn't about really learning i mean so obviously if you're going to be a lawyer or doctor there's certain skills and things obviously you you can learn um but you know it's mostly about just fucking your brain up so you just learn different so you think different you know and there's stuff that i learned in college because i didn't go to college until i did some studies in the 90s but i didn't really get my 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 undergrad business degree until i was 2005 to 2007 so as weird as i was working at pv at the time and some stuff is like oh wow international business manufacturing it's like wait a minute we do this at pv okay this makes sense and that was nice to have a direct hands-on kind of connection to it but other things um you know, even today, like I'll see something will come across an email or I'll read something in news and go, wait a minute. I remember learning about that in college 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's kind of what Autumn Leaves, I think, was to me, was this thing that shows up years later. I go, wait a minute. God, that's right. I remember this sort of transition of these, you know, this chord. And, um, and, and it was fun to study because, you know, like you said, Siobhan, it, this, these things, they they jar your brain you think outside of what you normally do and and the funny thing was is we get down to nashville and all of dan huff's buddies were dropping by going man megadeth you get y'all thrashers y'all great man you like like first heavy metal sounds like the town my husband lives in right you know and they were so they're so lovely in nashville they're very kind and nice yeah but but they were like they were like like oh my god i can't believe megadeth's in town this is like amazing like you know, like they wanted us just to be Megadeth. And here I'm yeah. thinking I needed to be like them, Yeah, you know, yeah. learn autumn leaves and learn how to read, you know, Nashville numbers. And they're like, no, be Megadeth. <laughs> That's what we <laughs> yeah. love about you. So it's, um, and learning the Nashville number system, you know, that, that it's, it's not that complicated, but seeing it done and see, and, you know, in knowing guys that 
you know, our, our session leaders and they, they write the charts and they can just freaking scribble these charts down one yep. pass, one listen, and they got it. Here, guys, here's the charts. Let's freaking take it from the top. And I mean, it's an impressive work ethic and, and method of how they work down there. Yeah. yeah. I just have to show you. I just pulled up my chart that my <laughs> there teacher it is. sent me. Autumn leaves with all the... <laughs> All the chords and the so that's line. what you'll David. be doing tonight after we get off the <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know now I have a new inspiration to practice yes. my jazz stuff now. all the if, cool people are doing autumn leaves man that's <laughs> yeah but if there's anything I've learned from Dave Mustaine is that we've been great but you've been mega death <laughs> that is true <laughs> he did not do autumn leaves by the way no. so it's interesting <laughs> because but he did use a wall on the experience hendrix tour and i read about it at least 37 times on blabbermouth <laughs> well, here, what is the... up with every single thing that that man does i swear to god I, he's like the Lindsay lowen of metal like everything yeah, like ben, he was about to get to that point today. but you took over the monologue so why no, don't you i just i have to he's, know. he's he's charismatic and that that is the thing i have learned from him is that you know he is he is an attract he just has an attraction to his to just who he is you know and and he's blessed with it I mean he really it, it it's he's he's very unassuming he doesn't plan it like he'll sit down and he'll he'll you know write a riff and I look at him and go I could have done that like that's not that hard but yeah. it somehow channeled through him and he and he truly is a channel I mean and I've heard Eddie Van Halen talk about this in 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 uh, a lot of his you know video footage since he's passed. Of course, there's a lot of content out there now, and he would talk about. It. I remember he was over at um, Jason Becker's house, and they were kind of fan on fanning on him. Oh my God, you're so great! And he was just singing in his head, this. just going, "Nope, nope, I'm just a channel. It just I don't even know where it comes from. It just comes through me." And he recognized that. And I've sat with Dave, you know, all these years, almost forty years now, you know, and and. And he'll write something, or, and and it's just like it's like, dude, where did that come from? It's it's not even that like it's that compact. It's like the brilliance is is assuming flow of how it just came through him, you know? Mm -hmm. Like it just, and he's he's talked about that. He's publicly mentioned this. He goes, look, I don't practice a lot because I don't want the sort of sitting down to hone a skill get in the way of the channel. Mm -hmm. you know of letting things come through so i don't really play my guitar unless i'm going to write something and then i pick it up you know dave's a guy who has the vision and then brings it through the guitar unlike we all know a lot of musicians who just play the guitar all day long waiting for the thing to kind of come out of them and yeah. i've learned a lot from from him with that 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 it's yeah look we all need to be have our skills be sharp and and our aptitudes be be you know proficient so that we can execute the flow of the spirit of music coming through us but he's not a guy who just burns it into the ground like I've I've nailed this lick. It's more about he's the guy that brought the lick to the party, you know. Right. Well, and, yeah, that's fundamentally the the whole trajectory of music history. I mean, if you're practicing, right. you're you're practicing stuff that came before you, and that's what happens with classical musicians. We get right. so used to the same patterns of baroque music, classical music, romantic music. That then you get asked to improvise, and all you're doing is repeating the same patterns of things that you've played your whole life. You know, so well there is said. a balance yeah. between you know yeah. over practicing what's what pre-existed you <laughs> and just letting something that's completely new come through. Yeah, it, it's really you know sitting even with Dan Huff when we were in Nashville because we did two records with him, and he would pick up the guitar and he wasn't playing a lot of guitar when we were doing cryptic writings. He was doing session work in the morning because he was transitioning from session work to being a producer. Now he's a been a full time producer for years. I mean, he does you know. Keith Urban and Taylor Swift. I mean, he does everything, you know. So now he's 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 big time. But right then he was in the transition, and and so he was still going in and side gunning sessions, and then showing up at the Megadeth, you know, session editing drums, and then hey, let's cut some bass and guitar today, you know. So I mean, that that was a man who had a lot of energy. But he, um, it was interesting to just sit with him. Obviously, very high functioning, high functioning uh, musician um, who could sort of grasp a lot going on and pull it together you know which which is a, a is a is a is a skill of a producer essentially you know let's take all these random ideas and and, and hone them and get them to all march in the same direction that's we this show call an album that is the show yes <laughs> self-produced by the way this is, <laughs> i think this, this show is more like taking all these ideas and throwing them in every direction possible and, yeah that's <laughs> not pulling together let's throw them out let's toward the wall them. <laughs> But with Dan, it was interesting because, you know, he told me, he said, he goes, he's, you know, again, he's such a kind. So he goes, he goes dang, Dave, man, I, I just grew up aiming for that snare drum all day long, sitting in my bedroom, just practicing, just aiming for that snare drum. You know, so for him, he knew his life was going to be in the studios. Um, he was he he was not 
he did not like live performing. Um, and uh, I remember he told me and Marty how much he got offered to go on tour with Whitesnake, I guess, after Steve I left. And we're like, and you didn't take it? And he's like, he goes, well, man, I already had the girl. I already met her in high school, and she's married, you know, with me, and we're married. So I didn't, I didn't need to go out on the road for that. And <laughs> if I leave town, then someone else will take my place, you know? So he's just kind of like, he, <laughs> wow. he, he knew his place, you know? Yeah. It's like, I'm not out chasing the money, the dream. I don't need to be a rock star. Like, I'm not, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm happy. I'm happily married. I got my wife and my kids, and I go to work at the studios every day. And and he knew his place in, in the in the world. And, and you know, and, and, you know, and, and the skill level, you know, these guys that grow up in the studios, I mean, they're, they're swing. I remember him playing, just picking up a, a, a guitar and just jamming a couple of bars, and you could immediately feel pocket. Mm -hmm. like right there and i was like man that's something to aspire toward be able to play mm -hmm. two bars and and people are already like just locking into groove i thought just man, on, on, oh, yeah, on a feel. note of talking to like session musicians and groove and locking in i, I came across a video of uh carol k uh i think today or, or yesterday and uh Heart, it, it it actually blew my mind because she was talking about how to groove with a click puts the yeah. click on and plays to the click as as the click is the backbeat instead of the downbeat Yes. And I was like, you do that in jazz. I was like, holy shit, that's amazing. How have I never even tried that? Have you seen her teaching Gene Simmons how to find the groove? Yeah, I have. That's my favorite video, I think, ever. And you know what? I thought Gene did really good with that because, again, here's Gene, not a session guy. I mean, he's obviously made a ton of records, but he's going in recording his own music that he wrote, and it's his band. And that's a whole different approach, you know, to, and again, that's kind of what I'd been doing. So when I went to Nashville, I went, I want to think more like a studio guy than a than a band guy, you know. Um, so when when she shows this thing to Gene, he picks it up, and you can see he's into it. He's sitting there, he's practicing. It's important to him that he nailed this, you know. And and I and I, I actually picked my own bass up, and I started playing along to it, going okay. And I was I was in Gene's head with that process because for, you know again for Carol, she grew up in the studios. You know, mm -hmm. she grew up bringing, and I you know I just read something the other day. That um, I think it's in the bass player magazine that with you know when they were cutting pet sounds, uh, her and the wrecking crew, you know they would cut one song per three hour session, whereas most sessions they would cut sometimes three or four songs within that three hour session. So imagine cutting you know here's the chart, bang, you know we got we got you know fifty minutes and then you can take a pee break and we're back and we're on to the second song. Like we need to nail three of these in 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 an, you know in a three hour session, and you know so. And you're right, that whole thing on the backbeat. You know, Bobby Vega is another great pick bass player, and he mm -hmm. had something on Scott's Bass Lessons, which is a great Instagram yeah. um, channel. And Bobby, another guy who's just got this pocket and swing and using a pick, not necessarily to play a lot of notes, but just hitting the downs and ups in a way that, as, I mean, as soon as you see it, you're two bars in and you're already grooving with him. Mm -hmm. You know, and it doesn't even matter what the lick is. It's just... It's 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 music not because it's noty, it's music because it's rhythmic, you know. And it could have been tapping on the desk, you know, banging yeah. on a drum, yeah. but he's just rhythmically just thrashing it out with a pick on a bass, and it was just so freaking good, man. It's so <laughs> clever. Um, so moral of the story is I should probably start playing with a click on the backbeat to get better. I think that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is, I mean, that really is something in the jazz lessons that I take. It's the metronome is always on the offbeat. And it's it really yeah. yeah it just like opens your brain up to a different way of thinking about rhythm and swing right. and everything absolutely. Well, it's an interesting thing with uh, you know lost symphony being the centerpiece, I guess of our of our meeting here. You know of of doing that of bringing rock, metal, um, symphonic music, obviously the classical disciplines. Um, and and bringing that all together and it's it's interesting i commend you for bringing everybody together from all these different worlds because we talked about the marty friedman contrast you know of hey turn the click off i'm thanks for the inspiration i'm going to take this and go off and and do my own thing and then That's give so it marty. back to you and then now mm. you have to unlearn what you know yeah. about your own song <laughs> yeah. and relearn what the guy and that happens a lot in the studio i mm, mean that accurate. happens a lot with even with megadeth stuff like dave will write something we all hear it that being the 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 upbeat and for him it's the downbeat. Uh -huh. You know, I remember a lot of drummers he'd go, "No, you're playing it wrong." And he go, "What are you talking about? I'm just 
book. He goes, no, it's fucking upside down. <laughs> you know, and for Dave, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And all of a sudden, when you flip it the way Dave hears it, now it's Jimmy Page and Bonham. Right? And it seems so obvious because we've heard it like that for so long. But when you're in the room, when it's being created, uh, and that one's kind of an obvious one because the down is, you know, is 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 the one. But um, there 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 are just riffs, and I can't think of one off the top of my head. But it's, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, to, to flip the beat makes an entirely different song. Mm-hmm. And it seems like three of us are in the room going, "I swear that's the one." And Dave's going, "No, guys, <laughs> can't you hear that?" It's almost the same <laughs> as frustrated. going into the outdoor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exa- well put. Well put. There's a perfect example that all of a sudden. It's like, you're like going, I never would have thought of that. So it's interesting how, you know, when you're even composing on a writing session or in the studio, and obviously the studio, usually time is money. Um, uh, At least everybody's time is worth something, you know, if not money, it's worth, you know, their time. And so you're trying to be as proficient and, and, and grasping something. And we've all been in situations where like, dude, I am not getting that at all. I do not feel where that is. And and something's again kind of regurgitated back to you. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, but how about try this? And then you're you're you know, you're instantly pulled off into another thought pattern um and trying to sort of digest it, trying to get it, trying to feel it. Um, and especially, you know, in uh, I noticed when we were doing Lost Symphony, you know, you guys work pretty quick, you know, and I learned that in Nashville, they work quick. It's like, okay, one more time. And they roll for better or worse. <laughs> yeah. One bar rollback, you know, pre-roll in your, in your cut. And you're like, well, I think we, 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 we had you for like three hours and we had to bang out like five songs. Well, five no, but the, tr- the truth is too, it, um, t- today, uh, this morning, Corey was, so Siobhan, we did, we did a cover of Niccolo Paganini, one of his caprices. And Siobhan's like, Oh, I think we played it like 157 BPM, which is pretty fast. She's like, it seems a little bit, I don't know, sleepy to me. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the most ridiculous thing. And these are the ways I torture myself. My my brother had written like a a, a base motion to this chromatic insanity that Niccolo Paganini had written in his 24 Caprices, which inspired Ingve and Richie Blackmore and all that. And she's like, this is all wrong. This is all wrong. (laughs) Meanwhile, we had Paul, our drummer who hates recording anything or doing anything most for the most part, um, recorded three times and she's like you gotta do it again so she comes up with all this crazy bass motion and says i'm gonna record it at 166 bpm which by the way you have to be in the violimbics to be able to humanly play that because i've gone and looked. it's not ava- yes. it's, it, it's not available people don't play it at that speed so Corey and i now had to learn her bass motion that she's now written for this insanity and play it literally like four or five notes at a time because it's so insane so Corey was up till three o'clock in the morning doing the bass and then came back and then helped me play the guitar to this insanity that is paganini that siobhan has interpreted because we can't do classical wrong apparently no, so stay that's tuned for it. chapter three yeah so stay tuned for cha- no but, th- but this is Shivana one of the nini. <laughs> right. Shivana nini and the violinists but this is what i do love about lost symphony is yeah i mean it it gives me the opportunity at least personally to fuse some of that world between rock and metal and classical and so many you know i'll talk to friends that are classical musicians and listen to metal music and be like don't you hear the classical influence in this and this is stuff mm-hmm. that none of them have ever listened to you know, and it's amazing how this like all of this information is accessible. You can find anything on the Internet. Yet there's a divide between all these different worlds, especially mm-hmm. classical music, because it's it's sectioned off as like this sort of learned thing. Yeah, You when guys are actually, so elitist. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's true. I mean, the classical musicians are equally culpable for it. But it's it, that's what's cool culpable. about this project, you know, is like it, you can show that th- there are overlaps between a lot of these things and you can put different styles together. And it turns out to be something cooler than the original. And at the end of the day, you shook me all night long. Yes. <laughs> there it is. Right on with the punchline. <laughs> I'm actually just an American girl. <laughs> so not, not to change the subject, but I actually pulled like some of my friends on Instagram to see if they had anything they wanted to ask you. And somebody sure. said um, that you grew up in the same town as her. Um, is it Jackson, Minnesota? Is that right? Yes. Uh-huh, okay. Uh-huh. So um, what is your favorite memory of Jackson? The Dairy Queen. The Dairy, the Dairy Queen. Queen. Okay. Oh, it was freaking awesome. Yeah. Okay. Back when it was real, before it was plastic ice cream, it was okay. real ice cream. Loved okay. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is it still there? It's not. It's okay. gone. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, definitely a favorite memory. Okay. I, it was a great town to grow up in. It was one. It was Mayberry. I had came from a great family. It was a pleasant, it was Pleasantville. It was very nice. It was a great place to grow up. 
a far cry from when I landed in Hollywood in 1983. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, my, my husband's from a farming family in, in the Midwest, Ohio. So some of the stories you, know. you told, yeah, were, yeah, sounded really similar to him. And it's it's always interesting to me how, yeah, people see a vision in another place from where they grew up. Because that is so drastically different. You know, small town, yeah. rural Midwest is like the polar yeah. opposite of L.A. And Well, keep in mind, I thought L.A. was going to be like chips or like, you know, girls in hot tubs and palm trees and all this, you know, wonderful, you know, they, what they sell us on TV. That's like what I thought about Miami before I moved there. And right. then it's like, you realize that South Beach is this big yeah. and the rest Smog, of Miami is like this it's big. murder and darkness. <laughs> and yeah, like you can't breathe and your nose hurts. And like, this place sucks. You know, and then once I got to LA though, I'm like, I can't go home. I mean, there's what, there's nothing to go home to. I'm going to be a farmer. Like, that's just not even an option. So I was literally walking down Hollywood Boulevard, just bummed out, like just going, oh my God, really? This is it? And I was just like, you know what? I got to jump in the deep end and learn to swim with the sharks, man. There is no going back. This is it. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you maybe, I don't know how much time we have left, Corey, so cut me off. Oh, we got about prolonging this no, episode. Continue. <laughs> but can you, that, that's interesting. Can you maybe talk about like some lulls in your career or in your life <clears> and, you know, how you kind of got out of those moments? Because I think that's something a lot of musicians and creative people deal with is it's not always a steady flow of work or a steady flow of yeah. success. So, uh, you know, part of, making it through is knowing how to handle those moments when stuff isn't coming your way. Yeah. I mean, look, there's the obvious drug addictions and, you know, those are, those are obviously serious and, you know, life changing. And in fact, I remember when I was in rehab, they said, David, there's only one thing you have to change and that's everything. And I was like, Whoa, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a heavy, heavy task. And I, yeah. And at right around that time, a lot of famous people that we all know were getting sober. So fortunately there was a sobriety uh, enthusiasm and community and, and people were that, you know, the managers and the labels, everybody's done dumping millions of dollars into drugged out rock stars. Like those days were over. <laughs> you know, this was, this was, you know, late eighties. Um, so people were getting clean. People were either dying or they're getting clean, you know? Um, yeah. so fortunately it was the, the society was there and the, and the infrastructure to support, you know, movie stars and rock stars getting clean. So I was lucky with that, but, um, you know, look, you, you, you all have that moment where, you know, like we're people. So, you know, you fall in love and all of a sudden, you know, your new love interest takes over your commitment to your music or the, you know, you're learning how to grow up. I mean, I think that's my thing is I grew up, you know, in a, in a popular band. So, um, you know, we weren't a reality TV show band, thank God, but you know, we're, we're, you know, we're out there in the public's eye. And so you have to learn how to handle yourself in the public and keep your personal stuff out of out of the spotlight and again today with social media most everybody puts everything out there but i i think i've tried to keep a lot of that back in fact i didn't talk much about a lot of that stuff until i wrote the memoirs you know um which fanny has right there <laughs> the question <laughs> is has he read it yet and i and will not, not and not Rockstar Hitman, but that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not not the fictional one, but not the that. real one. Yeah. And and so, on, um, on that note of, of of the memoir and the books and, and everything, yeah. we get we do have about ten minutes left. And I want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about, you know, the projects and the and and the stuff sure. that you have available so people can yeah. get to know you more and, and follow and follow you along a bit. Okay, so did a cover record, wrote a book, No, um it's 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 kind of inspiring to see everything that you're working on and um you know to, uh, maybe as, as one final i think uh, it's more little, tiresome to be honest yeah, with well you. <laughs> exactly and uh, in terms of that being tiresome for the outsiders like us maybe you can just talk about what what drives you to keep expanding and keep trying new things you know i i, I like the um i kind of the question that came up about just always creating you know, always creating and creating doesn't necessarily have to be notes and words. It can be business. It can be entrepreneuring. Um, it can be, Hey, why not? Uh, I mean, like I love coffee. I drink it every day. And so look at that. Most of that is kind of marketing and branding of my own name. Originally, I just wanted somebody to just put my name on something and send me a royalty check because I'm busy. <laughs> I don't have time to run a coffee company. But as, as things go, you know, I, I'm like a founder form, you know, I'm like, you know, kind of the apostle that goes out and you know, as part of the starting, like I said, I've only joined one band, every other one. Falling in the started. line of elves and businessmen. It is. It, I guess yeah. it is, you know, and, and so the, even the coffee thing, we started with a guy roasting it. We quickly outgrew it. Next thing you know, guess what? Now I have a coffee company and now it's all <laughs> in my hands and it's in my name and, and we're dealing with all that. And, 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 and I, I thrive on that. I like that. I like business. I, it's kind of the other side of the brain from being creative. So I like 
you know, hey, now we got to deal with some legal and business and accounting and some of these kind of business strategy things. But, you know, sometimes even business strategy is creative. You know, it's, it's Absolutely, sort of yeah. visionary. It's like, how do we get from here to there? Um, and I don't do it by myself. You know, there's a team of us and, and we work together. <clears throat> um, you know, the, the dreamers don't like the reality of money, which we all know that. It's like we hate bean counters. <laughs> Sometimes I have to be the bean counter, you know what I mean? And I have to go, wait a minute, you know, can we really do this? And if we can't, how do we get there? Because the one thing I said is that, listen, I'm not taking my, you know, my rock star money and dumping this into a bunch of enterprises and ventures. First of all, I don't need the ego. I don't need to go broke stroking my ego because, you know, companies can fall over, you know. But I, I am proud that we started all these things literally with no money. <laughs> um, you know, our first bag of coffee we put up on ellisoncoffeeco.com. We sold it. We took the money, we sold two bags, we you know, were able to make four bags, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, that's how the thing grew. Same with the record company with EMP Label Group and Combat. You know, we we signed artists, we um <clears throat> we you know, it one led to the next, to the next, to the next, and section you know, we had a next thing you know, we had a nice little cachet of that. I think it's the same with the books, you know, you write one memoir and couple years later um you know was inspired to write another about four years later let, let me write an updated one uh, i talked to simon and schuster who published the first one about amending it like sort of adding a you know uh, a bonus version and and it just seemed cleaner to just write a new one to start a new one do a new deal with a new publisher and and that's why i started the ellison book company for the same reason i so that's why you know to publish rockstar hitman I've now got other artists coming to me going, hey, I got a memoir and you know, I, I wrote a book or I'm thinking about writing my life story. And I said, please do, do it before you die. You know, there's only one of you and there's only one of your story and it deserves to be in a book. You know? So with the, with the Allison Book Company, we're able to put some books out and publish anything, you know, fiction, uh, memoirs, whatever, cookbooks, <laughs> whatever you have, you know, we're able to get those to market for people. Because I think for creative people, we like to create but we also like it to get to market. You know, we like people to hear it. And, and I think when you're in the business of uh, music, film, TV, you know, creating, um, you know, it's, it's not enough to just create it and sit in your room. You're like, well, I want someone to hear it, you know, and get it, how, how do you get it out on a record? How do you put it out into the, you know, the, the film thing that I'm doing? And, you know, how do you get your book to market? I've helped some people get their books to market. They've got the book. They just don't know how to get it over the finish line. And, so all these things, I, I'm probably kind of my finale wrap up on, on this whole thing tonight is, you know, if you're, if, you, if you're always doing it for you, when you die, it's over. But if you start doing things for other people, when you die, the legacy carries on, you know, and then you've been able to help other people and you, and then that just kind of keeps getting handed down. And one of the early guys in my sobriety told me that, you know, he used the old, give a man a fish, you fed him for a day, you teach a man how to fish, you fed him for a lifetime. So go be, go teach other people how to fish. Wow. Yeah. That's the ultimate closing. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's very philosophical. That. Because it's you know what nothing to do with music at all. It's about fishing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. No, that's amazing because so many people make assumptions about if you're a public figure, a musician, like even when you were talking about business, they assume like, oh, well, this person is successful in one thing. So, of course, they're going to be successful in everything else. But yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's starting over with each new venture and it's about building a team and yeah. figuring out how to make things work and how to make it sellable. I mean, there are a lot of things that go into it that people don't know. Yeah, Obviously, it's, you're, it's, sorry. Uh, well, no, I was okay. going to say you're in a unique position um, that maybe not not everyone can, you know, you use their already established career to push things. But it seems like your attitude towards starting these companies and doing it is it's a great attitude um, for anyone that might be listening or watching that, you know, maybe has a passion or that wants to do something like that and start create something, a business or anything. Would you have any sort of advice for them as far as, you know, something you've learned along the way? The thing that I've learned, again, you know, we put most of these things under the Ellison name, mostly because it's the most recognizable mm -hmm. name rather than, sure. you know, you know, pyramid coffee. It's like, yeah. well, what is that? You know, now you're <laughs> yeah. starting from nothing. And it's, yeah. you know, I, I think with even with Megadeth, I mean, we were immediately we were a branch off the Metallica tree and Dave played to that strength, you know, right away. And I think the same thing here is. You know, whatever has the value, go with that and really and and then and then play to that market. You know, look, we're we're a rock and roll coffee company. I'm not out here trying to put up coffee stands next to Starbucks. Why would I do that? You know, they you know that I I don't that's we're not at all in that league, and that's not where we are. And and mm -hmm. and so for our thing is it's is it it's playing to the rock and roll audience. You know, and and so to me, it's kind of like bloom where you're planted. 
Um, don't try to go out of your domain until you're really ready to. I have a good friend of mine. He's, he made a lot of money in, in the home building business here. And I remember I hit him up one time about investing in a restaurant concept that some guys were talking to me about. And he said, he goes, you know, David, I've learned <clears throat> I never put my money in an industry that I don't have experience in. And I have no experience in the restaurant business. And I thought, God, the wisdom, you know, of, you know, what is the saying? A, a fool and his money will soon be parted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I don't chase fools. Don't goals. tell our sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I try not to chase fools gold, you know, of, of running, you know, the get rich quick schemes. And maybe that's from growing up on the farm in Minnesota. Um, you know, I guess on one hand, leaving to go to Hollywood and there's gold in them, their hills, you know, <laughs> that part of it was maybe, but again, I went there, I think with a balanced view of, Hey, this is why I'm going, you know, there's an initiative. So, um, and, and, and listen to others, you know, I always tell people, even with their music, you know, I, I always say, look, if you're, if you're, if you're playing some songs or you're out doing a show and if it's, if it's, if it's working and people are digging it, keep doing it. If it's not working, don't be delusional and, and get over your ego and, and be able to take direction, you know, be teachable, remain teachable. I mean, we all are, every one of us on this thing here tonight are teachable, you know, whether it's Marty Friedman rewriting your song or, <laughs> um, you know, going to Nashville and, and having players, you know, come in and, and, uh, you know, producers, you know, kind of reframing something so that it can work in a different This is not the one. Format. Yeah. This is not what you mean. The the way you listen to the the click track. Oh, okay. It was a call. Oh, oh, the doubt you're saying, yeah, if you <laughs> yes. think about the beat oh, in a different not way. The one. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is not so again, the one. you know, we we've all come I've had managers. I remember one time I, I we're walking to the stage and I went, Wait, I gotta pee. And 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 I and, and, and the manager looks at me and he goes, What are you doing? I said, They can't go on without me. And he says, Don't ever say that. <laughs> you know <laughs> Oh man. Everyone's replaceable. You know what I mean? And I remember like going I heard that as I'm running off to pee real quick before I could go and get on stage, you know, and I'm, I'm going, and I remember that going, you know what? Everybody's replaceable here. Everybody, you know, um, you uh -huh. know, and, and, and now, you know, again, so this profound things, pay attention to those, you know, they come from random places, you know, and, and, you know, early on, you know, I, I didn't grow up as, you know, I grew up kind of religious. I mean, we're Lutheran, you know, we're pretty middle of the road, you know, but I remember when I was getting clean, you know, they, they told me, they said, you know, G-O-D, good orderly direction. What's the next right thing to do? You know, And when you start tuning into what the right thing is to do, you're going to hear more of the right stuff, and you'll mm -hmm. keep going down the right road. And when the wrong things come at you, your discernment will be up. You know, discernment can be simply described as bullshit detectors, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like you will be able to discern yeah. and like, you know, discern like going, yeah, that doesn't feel right, you know? And I always say, you know, God lives in the gut. You know, again, good orderly direction lives in the gut. If it feels good and I'm I'm sleeping good and I'm my gut's not churning, I'm probably on the right path. If my gut's kind of, I don't, you know, kind of tugging at me, I should maybe step back for a minute. You know, maybe meditate on it, just ponder it, call someone, ask some advice. You know, um, and I think it's good that we have you know some people around us, some mentors and people that we can go to, um, because you know it's not good when we're the most experienced guy in the room all the time. You know, it's good for us to be in a room yeah. where, hey, that I need to let that guy, that guy's been there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that happens to all of us, as we know. Um, and so we, you know, so anyway, you know, mentorship, I think is is a big thing. Have some people to aspire to because they will help us always raise the bar. <laughs> that brings us to, to the end. That. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's this a perfect spot. <laughs> My only now friend. The, the end, end is near. <laughs> David, thank you. Way. Thank you for your time. <laughs> thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for playing on Lost Symphony uh, yeah. on chapter two and three, uh, you know, which we'll be announcing shortly for the third one, which which is just phenomenal. Yeah. The work you've done with us, it, we're, we're super happy, you know, that you're, you've been a part of it. And it just sounds Glad great. Can't thank wait you. to share it with everyone. Thank you. And Siobhan, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I learned so much yes. today. Thank you for elevating all of us in so many ways. We can't Elson elevated us. I like what you did with the alliteration. <laughs> Elson <Ellison> Elevators <laughs> is elevation. His, his next company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Elson Elevation. Oh, so inspiring. Motivational speakers. <laughs> oh, David, David, where can we all check out all of these things? Is there like a hub yep. for Elson? So is there like Elson.com? Yeah, davidallison.com. All the stuff kind of pushes through there. Coffee, 
ellisoncoffeeco.com, the ellisonbookcompany.com, ellisonfilms.net. Um, Cameo. Megadeth.com. You're on Cameo, I see. Cameo. Yeah, I got to put my my Valentine's thing up. I'm going to do Valentine's Day show. Okay, by the way, I want to tell everybody, I'm going to share a thing about Cameo that we're doing. So Steve Stevens, um, well, so Siobhan thought it'd be funny because we had Steve Stevens on to have him heckle me. And he was like, "If Betty, if you if you uh if you send me something, I'll post it." And I'm like, "Who the fuck's gonna get my joke?" So I figured I'd get Mark <laughs> McGrath on Cameo okay. to then yeah. send a Cameo back to Steve. So I encourage people to use Cameo in in a much smarter way than just to send it to your friends. Have people you know know each other on Cameo, send each other Cameos. That's such <laughs> a great way to help the arts, don't you think, David? It's almost above my thinking. That's, uh, that's how advanced that whole concept. I was following you, and I get it. Um, but I have not done that. Like I'm, I'm only to Valentine's level. I mean, like yeah. when I get up to this higher Flash level, Halloween. that I can start. Okay. I'm I sending Chuck Norris to Jeremy Piven right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's next so, level stuff, right? So there. yeah, check out check out David on Cameo and and at davidellison.com. All you know. Buy all, his all books, his buy his music, yeah. buy his coffee, support Megadeth. him. Like we should support when are we getting every- a new Megadeth record, dude? Can we hear that? We is thought that this is- year, hope, hopefully this year. You know, again, those things are strategically around touring. I mean, thank God we didn't put it out because, again, it would have just fallen through the cracks. I mean, there's all this anticipation of touring. So, right. I mean, quite honestly, you know, the, the time is on our side in the sense that, you know, now, you know, rather than having a record out going, oh, my God, we got a tour, we got a tour, or else the thing's going to die and go away. Now we can wait and put the record out when it's the right time. I mean, I think this year we'll see some music, if if not the whole album, some music. But um, you know, we're hearing you know touring could could be twenty twenty two. You know, I mean, it, oh my gosh, right? I mean, we all hear the, the same endless. stuff, and it's I know it's it's. But look, hopefully we we get vaccinated, it moves forward. Hopefully that's successful. You know, I heard something. The pandemic usually lasts three years. Um, and it's Makes now they're sense. seeing this, this thing st- started coming out in probably September of 2019. So we're a year and a half into it, you know? So hopefully, hopefully halfway we're ahead through. of the curve. Yeah. Hopefully we're more than halfway. <laughs> right. We hope. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, All right, we, cool. well we can't wait to see you, you again so much, on stage. David. We, we can't, but we're so, I gotta tell you of all the bands I've ever seen. My brother, who's such an elitist, doesn't go, you've met him briefly, um, yeah. <laughs> doesn't go out for anything. He's like, doesn't care about anything. Has always seen Megadeth. Always. We've not missed nice. Megadeth ever since, I think, 1996. So Does that I make just us wanna... elitists too? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much. Like, we've always been sitting there like this in the front row going, hmm, is he as good as Marty? Mm. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, Marty is the benchmark. Right yeah, now. I know. Well, it's true. But the fact is, yeah. you guys play with, I mean, Kiko, uh, you guys uh, are Kiko's so phenomenal. Uh, so, so hats off. My best Thank to your you. entire camp. Thank you so much for being part Thank of this. You. And guys, go support David Ellison. Thank you for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 33 featuring Satchel from Steel Panther. Check it out. And, um, but there's still a lot of people that only know us from our records and they can't wait to come see us live for the first time. And, and when they do that, when they do, it's like, holy shit, like this is even better live. And, and for me, it's like, yeah, that's what we are. We're a live yeah. band first. We always have been. And, and even though I'm very, very proud of our records, I love what we do on our records. And I think we make great sounding records and they're definitely not for everybody, but they're, shit that we like so and i think that's how everybody should do records you should do records that you fucking love and if nobody else likes them or and there's always gonna, always gonna be haters right that say your shit sucks and we get a lot of them and those people can all suck my fucking balls i don't fucking radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files, 
Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.